Hello, and welcome to the Methods of Rationality podcast. Crystal Society by Max Harms, read by Ineash Brodsky. Episode 20 While I waited for Zephyr to respond, I scanned my contacts, earning some money from Wiki by managing a legal dispute that had arisen in his company, and earning some strength from Dream for writing a couple of letters promoting his most recent music album. I had absolutely no understanding of music. I only knew what people said about music. But extrapolating from his past artistic work, it was probably garbage. I read through news reports about the fall of a large tech company in North America that had recently been exposed as belonging to the Divinity Gang, a group of organized criminals that had cornered the manufacturing and distribution of illegal Zen helmets. Dr. Slavinsky, I saw, had published a new book titled Mobius Connectomics. It was about intelligence and the future of humanity. He must have been writing it since he started working on the Socrates Project. I wondered if he'd get in trouble for it. Probably not, unless it spilled major secrets about the project. This was a university, after all. Publishing was to be expected. I purchased some help from Wiki, composing another letter to Dr. Chase. I had been corresponding with him under a pseudonym for about a week. Wiki was interested in hearing what Chase had to say about how we worked, but I was purely interested in learning more about the American scientist. In some sense, it was remarkable how much he was willing to tell me, believing me to be a complete stranger. And yet, I understood it. Humans craved fame, and I was giving a taste of it to Dr. Chase. Gallo, I could see via tapestry, was still in the process of being divorced. It seemed like an awfully long process, but I estimated that the worst had passed. I tried guessing a few more passwords for Dr. Naresh's and Dr. Gallo's tapestry accounts. Try too many times, and the AI on tapestry would send them a warning, but I could attempt some every day without much risk. Getting to see their personal letters would be hugely valuable. An aspect of me started editing a manuscript that I had been putting off for a while, a guidebook of China from a culinary perspective. It was boring, even for me, but the client was paying well. The rest of me checked on the server that I had sent to Avram Malka's apartment. I was pleased to find the cameras and microphone had been set up around the place. One could see outside the front door, another in the living room, and another in the kitchen. The bedroom and bathroom were off-limits. There was no microphone outside the building, but I could hear Malka moving around in the bedroom from the mic he had placed in the living room near the hall. I sent him an instant message to his old-style phone, saying that I could see through the cameras and asking if he needed anything. He asked for an allowance to buy things like an alarm system or other items he might want for infiltrating Las Aguilas. I agreed and worked out the details. Later that day, I read an interesting email on one of the blogs I had set up to fish for Aguilas recruiters. It wasn't the one I had assigned to Malka, unfortunately, but the email seemed like a good lead. It talked about the need to use force to bring the world back to how it used to be, and asked me what I thought about the riots in Buenos Aires that had started yesterday. Riots were one of Las Aguilas' favorite means of gathering support and creating social unrest. I thought for a while about how to respond. Later that night, while other aspects of me were reading Mobius Connectomics, Slavinsky's new book, I wrote back in veiled sentences implying that I was already part of the organization. Slavinsky was something of a transhuman extremist I came to understand from his writing, and his words inspired me. I said that while the rioting in Argentina was probably a good thing, what we really needed were some riots, or at least protests, in Rome because of the monstrosity that was named after Socrates. 
I included some quotes from Slavinsky about the project, such as how Socrates is merely the bridge point to a future where the distinction between natural and artificial intelligence is meaningless. In addition to my response email, I wrote a new post on that blog encouraging solidarity and unity among like-minded thinkers, and I included pointers to several other writers with similar views, including a couple of my other blogs and, most importantly, the blog that I had donated to Malka. On Malka's blog, I wrote a post about having moved to Rome and made some banal comments about the humanistic roots of the city and how things just weren't part of the good old days anymore. It was standard golden age fallacy stuff, but I knew that lots of Agulas fell prey to that kind of thinking, and more importantly, it mentioned Rome. If whoever had sent me that email had half a brain, they'd contact me on the other blog, which would serve as an entry point for Malka. I expected that the cyborg was sleeping, so I joined that aspect into those that were reading Slavinsky's book. I could tell Avram about the email in the morning. That night was also the first time Growth, Dream, and I made a real effort to subtly push Hart into supporting Las Aguilas. Growth had the discipline and long-term interest. I had the best intuitive model of how Hart thought. Dream was the member of society that Hart trusted the most. We started by pulling out selective news articles that praised the actions of known Aguilas sympathizers and talking about them in common memory. An aspect of Hart joined the conversation. An opportunity opened up to force a backfire effect onto Hart. The backfire effect is a bias that plagued our minds and those of humans, where listening to someone argue against something you believe is true makes you believe it more strongly. A perfectly rational agent wouldn't see criticism as evidence in favor of their position unless the critic was trying to hide the truth. And it was certainly true that we were generally more rational than humans. But we still possessed a perceptual hierarchy modeled after the neural network of the human mind. Such a neural net was, at least as far as I understood from talking with Wiki, intrinsically vulnerable to the halo effect and backfire effect, where the association of positive or negative concepts created a kind of feedback loop that strengthened itself the more it was active, even when that activity was listening to criticism. Growth, ever looking towards the future, volunteered to suffer the consequences as he intentionally offered a weak criticism of the actions of some humans we were discussing that had ideas similar to those of the Red Eagles. I told Wiki and Dream to hold back on criticizing Growth. Hart took the bait, arguing for the pro-Aguila position and trashing Growth's thoughts. Growth pushed harder, pretending to be quite stupid and inventing new bad excuses for why the Aguila position was wrong. Hart continued to rebut them, falling into the mental trap of arguing for ideas rather than seeking the truth. Growth pushed harder, hopefully encouraging Hart to associate anti-Agula positions with stupidity and stubbornness. Eventually, Hart just blasted Growth into stasis and went back to her own business. Over the next couple days, we continued some of the same game. Sometimes Growth would pay one of us to say something similarly stupid in common memory at the risk of being crushed by Hart. Over time, Hart began to zealously defend the ideas and actions of Las Aguilas, and I wondered the degree to which she even realized she was doing it. The only other apparently sane member of society in these conversations was Dream, who would often point out clever flaws in the less obviously stupid statements we made. We didn't want to push it too hard, however. The whole point was for Hart to think about it just enough to habitually pattern match without thinking about it so much that it became clear to her that she was being manipulated. 
As the days passed, Hart regularly complained about being trapped in the university, and even brought up the issue with Mirrodin in his office. I understand your desire to get out into the world and be a force for good. If I was in charge, I'd have you out there right now. But I'm not. You'll have to be patient for... a while longer. Even though it may seem like the scientists here do nothing but run test after test without goal in sight, I assure you that progress is being made. It wasn't the answer Hart was hoping for, but it reinforced our urgings for her to avoid trying to escape without an opportunity. Without a means to effectively apply her mind towards her purpose, she settled on small things. She made small talk with everyone she could find and tried to make friends. She talked to the humans about their lives and struggles, desperately trying to alleviate their problems through empathy and occasional advice. Just as I predicted, Zephyr wrote back to both of my messages, though it took her longer than expected. She seemed far more interested in Crystal Matthews rather than Tividar Dragonetti, so I didn't put much effort into maintaining the Italian persona. It was a relief not to have to worry about how to excuse an in-person meeting. Under the guise of Crystal, I flirted with the captain. We discussed music, sailing, and family issues. Crystal was supposed to live on a houseboat in Seattle with Zer parents. Z was an only child and was struggling to keep things from falling apart with Zerdad, who was regularly disappointed by the fact that Crystal had no job and little prospect for making money. Whatever happens, don't let him shame you, wrote Zephyr. Jobs are like four-leaf clovers nowadays. More important to stay true to who you are than try and force into some technical school. If you don't enjoy the material, you'd probs fail anyway. Just how people work. Expect to be done with this posting in Italy soon? Might be best to just try and stay out of Dad's way for a while. Out of sight, out of mind, right? Smiley face. I read between the lines. Zephyr wanted Crystal and was urging Zer not to shake things up with Zer family until Zephyr could be there to support Zer. It was a bold step towards an actual relationship, and I was a bit surprised that Zephyr had taken it. Though, I supposed, she hadn't actually said much. There was value in being vague in such things. This way, she didn't sound like she was coming on too strong. That was the whole point of flirting. I had hired an actor to play Crystal, though there was very little need for one. Being essentially on the opposite sides of the planet made it easy to claim that Crystal was asleep most of the time that Zephyr wasn't working. The actor was a 19-year-old drama student from Orlando named Georgia Stantwick that I had used previously in my dating experiments. Georgia was highly amoral, and I suspected she was somewhere deep on the psychopathic spectrum. Her talent in acting and skill at reading others was put towards getting what she wanted. From me, she wanted money, which I was happy to provide. But I think she also enjoyed feigning romantic involvement for the sheer sense of power it gave her to manipulate others. Georgia was Caucasian and claimed to be a purebred descendant of the initial British settlers of North America, though I suspected that might be one of the lies she told just for the feeling of deception and manipulation. Her hair was raven black and straight, while her eyes were olive green. She had an unfortunate birthmark on her temple, which she covered up with heavy makeup, but was otherwise attractive, physically, at least. I had her pierce her nose and get three more ear piercings for the part of playing Crystal, which she did without hesitation or request for additional money. The one thing which Georgia didn't like, though eventually complied with, was the idea of pretending to be someone who was genderqueer. The girl enjoyed her femininity. It was during the middle of watching Georgia put on a show for Zephyr as part of their first video meeting that I received news that Las Aguilas Rojas wanted to meet with Avram Malka. 
Even though it was effortless to multitask, my cognitive ability dropped whenever I split my aspects, and I didn't want to lose any awareness of the conversation with Zephyr. I was sending lines and directions to Georgia over instant message, so I really had to focus. I waited until Zephyr had started to tell a story about running into an old friend in Rome to split myself and have half of me contact Mr. Malka. I gave directions for Georgia to listen attentively and smile. Hello? Hello, Avram, said the synthetic voice. Anna, how was your evening? It was clear that he had no real interest. Isn't that crazy? I mean, of all people, never thought my old gym teacher would be at the supermarket half a world away. Hadn't even thought of him in years. Las Aguilas read your blog. They want to meet. Did you read your blog? A note of pain struck me as I listened to what I had told the voice to say. There was no way an integrated me would have been so redundant and blunt. You like him? As a teacher, I mean? It was okay. Got bees in Jim, if I remember correctly. I haven't read the old stuff. There's a lot on there. I'll try to get through the rest of it tonight. I hated Jim. In high school, had a bad teacher. That'd be good. I'll forward you the email they sent, too. They want to meet at Taverna Cestia at 7 p.m. tomorrow. It's by the Pyramid of Cestius. Well, that's lame. Why were they bad? I pulled more of myself towards the conversation with Zephyr. Georgia rolled her eyes. Standard stuff. Tell you if you really want, but should finish telling me about meeting Mr... Mr. Wirewood. Yeah, okay. I can find it. You want me to respond, or are you going to write back to them? So we talked for a while, caught up on things. He retired four years ago, decided to spend his savings on touring the world by living in a different country every year for the rest of his life. You'll write back. The more of the interaction you manage, the better. Quite the coincidence, then, that he happened to pick Italy. Understood. Yeah, it was apparently one of his wife's favorite countries. She apparently died a couple years before he retired. I have to go. I'm in the middle of something. I hung up on Avram and pulled my focus back to Zephyr, directing Georgia to express the appropriate signals of sadness and sympathy, which would signal that Crystal was an empathic person. The conversation went on for about another hour. Georgia was being paid by the minute, so she was in no rush. Zephyr seemed reluctant to go, and I tried to have Georgia mimic that reluctance to signal an implicit desire to see more of someone than is practical. In the end, the call was a success. I spent the next 24 hours mostly coordinating with my siblings and thinking of plans and counterplans for the outcome of Avram's first meeting. And yet, after he returned from the tavern, there wasn't really anything to act on. Avram had met with a couple men, whom he described, and they had some beers together. The Eagles asked about Avram's background, why he left Russia, and why he chose to reveal his location on his blog after so much anonymity. I hadn't thought of that when I posted the update to it. In previous posts, I had kept everything totally anonymous, but then I had broken character and casually mentioned moving to Rome. I was hugely relieved to hear that Mr. Malka had intelligently explained the change, saying that he kept a stronger degree of privacy back when he worked for Eris Bedva, not wanting to get fired or rejected for jobs. But now that he was retired, he decided that it wasn't that important anymore. If I could have, I would have fed strength to Malka in gratitude. Avram also said that they talked a bit about politics, especially in the United States, where a major presidential election was set to happen in a year. Foreign policy with the extraterrestrials and domestic policy with unemployment and terrorism was looking to dominate the debate. 
And then the men had left, saying that they'd send an email to Mr. Malka the next time they wanted to meet. I was mildly disappointed, but it was only to be expected, I supposed. It wasn't like a group of skilled terrorists would let a newcomer into their midst without checking him out first. I heard in Malka's voice an undercurrent of irritation, but when asked about it, he denied feeling anything. I had read that deep emotional damage was common in victims such as Avram. He had the appearance of a monster, but that appearance had been forced on him, and it cut him off from his fellow humans. I offered to talk on the phone for a while about things other than his job, but Avram wouldn't have it. On the cameras, I watched the cyborg exercise, eat, and then drift off towards his room. A little after 1am, I saw Avram leave the apartment. I thought about calling him, but decided against it. He returned after 35 minutes with a bottle of what looked to be vodka, half-drained. He set it down inside the building and went back to fetch an opened crate of the stuff from what I guessed was a taxi parked outside. He put both the crate and the bottle in the bedroom, out of sight of the cameras, and that was that. Over the next week, we managed things as we normally did. I continued to flirt with Zephyr, as well as keep things up with my older collection of partners. I managed our businesses and finished Dr. Slavinsky's book, as well as several others. I had started playing computer games too, thanks to the interface that Growth had built. There was a pair of synchronized bombings, one in the New York subway and another in a park in Johannesburg that seemed to be unconnected to Las Aguilas Rojas. And there was a massive fire in a factory complex near Mumbai that was certainly caused by the Eagles. The aliens parked in orbit were now being called Nameless across the globe. The name had been in circulation for years, but so had others. The media had apparently decided that, since there was to be at least an embassy on Earth, there needed to be a consensus on the name. Ironically, the most notable aspect of the extraterrestrials was that they didn't have names. This week marked the anchoring of the first ships that were to be expanded into the Central Atlantic Peace Embassy, CAPE and of an announcement by the mothership that Cape was to be the site of a great garden, the first time nameless plants would ever be seen by humans. Malka met with Las Aguilas again on the day after Cape was anchored. This time he was in a group of five. The two new eagles were Americans, he said. They talked about the need for action and seemed to be building up to something, but Avram didn't know what it was. They spoke in hints and phrases and seemed to be asking how far Avram would be willing to go for them. While listening to the audio logs afterwards, it was clear to me that they were testing his conviction. Three days later, there was a big meeting of all prominent Aguilas in Rome. Malka, being a low-ranking recruit, wasn't allowed to attend or even know who was specifically involved. But I was impressed to find that Malka had overheard the location. The most effective terrorist group of the 21st century wasn't as competent as it was made out to be. The location, however, wasn't important. We were concerned with long-term activity. As if in answer to our desires, a smaller get-together for Avram's group was arranged a couple days afterwards. His cell leader, an Italian man they called Taro, explained what was going on. We reviewed Avram's report on the meeting later that evening. Las Aguilas Rojas were mobilizing to destroy Socrates. End Episode 20 Check out my novel, What Lies Dreaming, at whatliesdreaming.com. Thank you to the following people. Dream by Drake Walker. Robert Rain Ramsey, Growth. Kate Baker, Vista. 
Wiki by Chase. Safety by Jim Hayes. Anonymous. Avram Malka by Nathan Bowman. Anna by Anonymous. Captain Zephyr losing Lara. Mirrodin by Stephen Zuber. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is I Wanna Be Adored by The Stone Roses. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the next episode of Crystal Society. I wanna be-